0: Good morning, Sarepta. Thank you for having us. It's been a lovely weekend, and uh, we have loved being among you again. Uh, it was a little delayed, as I said on Friday night, by um, some some uh, changes to my blood pressure and stuff, um, all of which were very unwelcome, And um, but we've Kind of beaten the suckers down, you know? <laughs> and so it is lovely to be with you. But let me read you something which is uh, relevant to what we're going to be talking about today. Because what we're talking about today is the is the carrying out, the living out of what God intended from the beginning. Living, I've called this living the life that wants to be lived through you. Um, which is simply a kind of summary of everything that the, um, that the Bible, uh, prophesied and predicted. But before I get serious like that, let me read you this. Um, a colonel issued the following directive to his executive officers. Tomorrow evening at approximately 20 hundred hours, Halley's Comet will be visible in this area. An event which occurs only once every 75 years. Have the men fall out in the battalion area in fatigues. And I will explain this rare phenomenon to them. In case of rain, we will not be able to see it. So assemble the men in the, in the theater and I will show them films of it. Executive officer to company commander. By order of the colonel. Tomorrow at 20 hundred hours, Halley's Comet will appear above the battalion area. If it rains, fall the men out in fatigues, then march to the theater, where this rare phenomenon will take place. Something which occurs only once every 75 years. Company commander to lieutenant. By order of the colonel, be in fatigues at 20 hundred hours tomorrow evening. The phenomenal Halley's Comet will appear in the theater in case of rain in the battalion area. The colonel will give another order, something which occurs only once every 75 years. (laughs) Lieutenant to sergeant, tomorrow at 20 hundred hours, the colonel will appear in the theater with Halley's Comet, something which happens every 75 years. If it rains, the colonel will order the comet into the battalion area. (laughs) Sergeant to squad. When it rains tomorrow at 20 hundred hours, (laughs) the phenomenal 75-year-old General Haley, (laughs) accompanied by the colonel, will drive his comet through the battalion theater in fatigues. Postmodern squad member. What's a comet? (laughs) This is a phenomenon we call broken telephone. Um, I need a few volunteers to just illustrate something that, uh, and the volunteers have to be people that have jackets. If you've got a jacket, I can use mine as well. And I'll take yours as well, please. If there's any others who are prepared to surrender their jackets, in a moment, in a moment, I'm going to call you forward, okay? So, we've been talking over the weekend about um, Christian identity, about what identity is and about how we engage with this thing called uh Christian identity or kingdom identity, and uh, we, uh, we we reached a certain point in talking about it. Let me read the text that is up there at the moment, Colossians chapter one, which kind of, uh, in the New Testament context, become is a summary statement of everything that what I've also called God's big idea. God had a, this big idea. And the big idea was that he was going to um, uh, uh, plan, have a plan for history, for the history of the earth and for the human race, uh, and that that plan would be uh, focused in the life that would be lived by one particular person. That from this person, through this person, and to this person, all of the dynamics of history, all of the powers, the principalities, the, the engaging with people uh, on God's behalf, the activities of angels would all zero in on this. So that at the end, everything would be summed up in this person called Christ. And so Paul sums it up like this. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. So there's a hint given there, which is to say it was all summed up in Christ, and then it was left for us as an inheritance. And what we are doing here this morning, I've said this to you before on other occasions I've been here, is we're having another reading of the last will and testament of Jesus of Nazareth where he has left something to us. He's left an estate, and he said, take it. Take it, enjoy it, savor it, and live it. So, the story goes like this. Let me, before I throw some clothing around, let me just um, explain something for those of you who might have forgotten. When people entered into what is called a covenant in the Bible there was a little ceremony that took place but the ceremony had real meaning it had it had real significance it had lasting effects and uh, the, the the way that this thing worked was that two people would stand opposite one another and then they would remove their belts and the belt was something that carried a couple of things. It carried the sword if the person was armed. It carried their money bag if they had such a thing. And in the money bag, by the way, was not only the money, but it was also all the uh, IOUs. So it included not only your assets, but also your liabilities were contained in your money bag. And so they would take their belts off. I'm not going to take mine off now. I have lost a few kilograms and my pants will fall down. So so what they did was they exchanged their belts. You took my belt and I gave you, uh, uh, you took mine and I took yours. And so what we were saying symbolically in that was, from today forward, your enemies are my enemies. I will fight against your enemies on your behalf. Also, what I own is at your disposal. Oh, and by the way, what I owe you also, you know, you're liable for. So you were you were hoping that there was more money than IOUs in the bag, but you exchanged them. And then they would take out their take off their outer garments, their coats, their cloaks, and they would exchange those. And of course, in Middle Eastern uh, ancient in the ancient Middle East, they had um, similar things to what the Scottish. Clans do, which is that they had their colors, the colors of tribe and clan and family woven into their clothing so that you could tell the person's origins and identity by the coat that he wore. And so you, and so you exchanged those. And as you did that, you did another thing. You said, um, my name will now be included in yours. And so you will be, Uh, You know, from today forward, and of course, we have this in the marriage ceremony, but only the women these days get to sacrifice their name um, and take their husband's name. But in the old days, it actually used to be mutual, that they would actually both uh, incorporate the name of the other into theirs. That's why double-barreled names and second and third and fourth and tenth names became... Part of the order of things in Western civilization. They would then cut the name of the person into their right hand, and they would clasp hands so that the blood would mingle in the palms. And what would happen is they would be they would become sharers of blood, and uh, so uh, and that symbolized something. But but. What was then left, they, they would rub some of the ash from the fireplace into the name that had been carved so that it became a little tattoo. And uh, if you're close enough, you'll be able to see. I actually have one of those. It was just a balmy spring day in Oatswyrn. <laughs> and I had a girlfriend called Christine. And so, I tattooed a C into my hand, you know. Now, why, why that was important in the covenant thing was that when you were going to make a promise, or when you were going to give testimony in court, or when you were about to wage war, when you were about to enter into battle, you would raise your right hand. And you would say, this is what I'm going to do now, whether it's giving testimony whether it's, um, you know, uh, uh, appealing for someone or whether it is announcing a battle. You would say, I'm about to engage with you in warfare. Now, if you were smart, you would read what was carved in my hand. Because you know that it's not just me you're going to fight, but it's the person I'm in covenant with. You, you, you know, sometimes you can beat me. But have you seen who's behind me? And so that was the covenant. And so they would do all of that. And um, I won't go into all of the other details of the covenant, but I want you to remember these two, because they speak about not only identity, but they speak about the benefits of the connection, the benefits of the relationship. God entered into covenant like that. Over the years, he entered into covenant with the earth. And the mediator, the person he used to actually be the connecting point was a person called Adam. You remember Adam. And he had a wife. And and anyway, uh, so they, they entered into covenant. God said, you're going to be my boy. You will wear my clothing. You will bear my image. Where you go, my name is represented. And I want you to rule over this planet on my behalf. I want you to be a beneficial manager, a beneficent manager for my world. Adam, and so rule over it. Wear my clothing. And so Adam wore the clothing for a little while. We don't know how long. And then one day, one blinking tree, (laughs) and one snake, and Adam lost his identity. He dropped his clothing. And then, a little while later, there was another person, and God chose Noah. And he said, Noah, you know what, we're going to do a do-over because these guys have really lost the plot. We're going to do it, do it again. And so he said, you come into the ark, bring the animals, blah, blah, blah. And then he said this to Noah. He said, Noah, um, I want you to, to wear my identity in this particular regard. I want you to be the dispenser of justice. Because the world needs to be regulated. The human race, rather, needs to be regulated and the way to regulate them is i want you to uphold my image in the way that you that you dispense justice in the world uphold uh, people must be uh, obedient to just laws so that the image of god can be defended and so noah put on the garment for a while then he got out of the ark and one bunch of grapes and law and order disappeared out of Noah's consciousness. He got drunk. And various other things happened. So Noah dropped his jacket. Now, can I have a few volunteers? Who's got some jackets? I want some more jackets. So, so someone can come forward and you represent, thank you, you can represent Abraham. This is AB. This is AB over here. <laughs> Father Abraham. So here's, here's AB. And God says to A.B., A.B., you know what? What we need is a particular people group within this thing called the human race. I'm going to call you to be the father of a new nation. They called the Hebrew people. And I'm calling you that that, so that through your seed, he said, uh, I'm going to dispense not just justice but blessing. He says to A. B, in blessing I will bless you, and I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse those that curse you, and I will make of you a blessing so that through your seed all the families of the earth will be blessed. My life will be manifest as blessing wherever you and the people go. And he said, I've just got one requirement of you, Abi. Leave that other family behind. And, co- and co- go to a place that I will show you. Leave, leave those other connections, those other loyalties behind. There was another test a little later which involved the son that he had to be prepared to sacrifice. But anyway, in the promise he said, just leave, just leave your family behind. And the very next verse says, and Abraham took Lot, his brother's son, and departed. So the first, the first minute that he gets to obey God and to live in, within the confines of this connection with God, this oneness with God, he blows it. He says, no, you now I've got a bit of FOMO, I don't know about leaving the, all, the whole family, so I'll just take my nephew. Is that okay? And so, unfortunately, A.B. also dropped his jacket And then, can we have another? Thank you. Come. Uh, So now, a little while later, this race of people called the Hebrews had been doing some stuff and ups and downs and what have you. And then God calls one guy. They'd ended up in slavery. That's how much of a blessing they were actually able to enjoy. Uh, And so God calls this other old guy called Moses, he says, Moshi, Moshi, come here moshi i 'm going to give you the ways that I want my people to live i 'm going to teach you my laws, so come here and let me let me explain to you i 'm going to explain to you ne? I'm, so i 'm explaining God writes it all down, and the first of those laws was was uh, um, Moshi, I want you to, to teach the people that they must have no other gods before me. That's the first one of these instructions, these explanations. And you know how it went. I mean, Moshi was just on his way down from the mountain when he heard reveling and dancing and music. And he arrived there and the people had broken the first commandment before they'd even read it. And so, And so the people who were supposed to live by the law, and Moshe who was their mediator. It wasn't only his fault, you know. It wasn't the mediator's fault. It was the sometimes the fault of the people. So you can go back to your seat now. Thank you. Because the first commandment broke the connection, broke the covenant. Now, there was another. I can have one more. Thank you, Joe. Come on. So there was one more actually there were others in between like Isaac and Jacob and all of that but we're talking about the major ones and then God found this young man (laughs) who was a shepherd and he said I'm going to make a covenant with you. And I'm going to raise you up and I'm going to put you on a throne so that you will minister. You will be the administrator, the king over my people for the sake of their peace through righteousness. I will establish a kingdom of peace through you and you. they will never fail the son of yours to sit on the throne. You will have an everlasting kingdom, a kingdom of peace and righteousness and joy in the Holy Spirit. And you remember Davy, remember Davy in peace, <laughs> right? Almost the first thing he did was he took another man's wife and he sent that man into battle. He, basically, he committed murder so that he could have his way rather than the righteousness that God had called him to. And he did that through killing rather than through establishing peace. And so Davy, you know, sorry, Davy. Human history paused for a moment and, and, uh, and the prophets prophesied and they said, don't worry, don't worry guys. Something is going to come, something is going to come right here. I want to read to you a promise that was made 600 years before the event. It's found in Isaiah chapter 49 where he says, he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will glorify myself. And now, says the Lord, who formed you from the womb as his servant to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him. I'm honored in the Lord's sight, and my God has been my help. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to raise up the tribes of Israel and bring back those of Jacob I have preserved. I'll also make you as a light to the nations, to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. He calls him in this verse, he calls him, you shall be Yehoshua, Yehoshua. You shall be Jesus, the salvation that will go to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says. The Lord, your Redeemer, O Israel, to the one despised by people, kings will see and rise. Princes will bow down, because you are the Lord who is faithful The Holy One of Israel, the one who has chosen you. This is what the Lord says. I'll answer you in a time of favor. And on a day of salvation, I will help you. I have watched over you and given you as a covenant to the people. So God said, I tell you what, you know what? All of these people have let down the terms of the covenant. All that God wanted of them was connect with me in such a way that my life Is seen through yours. Connect with me in such a way. That you live for the purpose I made you. That you may be for the display of my splendor. That you may be. Demonstrations of my glory. In the form of righteousness. And peace. And joy. And compassion. And blessing. And mercy. All of the attributes of God shown forth in the world. That's what he made. That's what he made us for. To be his selem, to be the icons, so that when people see the human, when people see the human who is under the rule of justice and, and obedient to the laws of God and um, seeking to be a blessing, when they see that human, they remember who's on the throne. When they see that human, they go, "There is a God." When they see those humans, they say, these little Christs who are among us. Yes. You see, that's, that's what they called the church in Antioch. They called the followers of the way, they called them Christiani. That means little Christs. Why? Because something about the way they were living made people remember someone else who had lived and been among them. So Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, lovely verse. It says, when the time had fully come, God said, now I'm going to send my covenant. And that covenant, that person has to be someone who fulfills the terms of all of these other covenants. He has to come to this planet. So, Jesus was born. When the time had fully come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. He had to be a human being who was subject to the rule of law. He was a person living in society like everyone else had to live. He couldn't be a hermit going off and living his own laws. He had to live. He had to jostle. He had to be among the people. Then, not only that, he had to be a Jew. He had to be a Hebrew. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, born of a woman who was—we'll say more about her in a moment—but born a Jew. And so, here's what happens in in history: Christ bestrides history, and he picks up all the clothing that has fallen. He picks up the human. He picks up the the the, the submitted human. He picks up the uh, the Jewish human. He picks up the obedient human. He picks up. The person who is not only subject to the laws of people, but who lived a life that at the end of it, he could say, which of you can convince me of sin? Can you see any sin in me if I've sinned? There, I've got nothing to offer. And so he not only fulfilled human law, but he fulfilled the law of God. Not only that, he lived out the spirit of the law, which was this, that there would be mercy compassion, love, grace, and as a result of that, shalom, peace. And so he picks up David's fallen jacket as well. And Jesus clothed himself. I'm not going to try and put all of these on. You can come and collect them afterwards. If you're cold now, you can get, collect them now. But he, put, he puts on the clothing. And as he does that, Jesus identifies with us. As he does that, he says to you, I'm taking on the form of a human. I am being found in fashion as a man. I am not only that, but I am here to serve your well-being. I'm here not to be a king that sits in glorious isolation, but a king who is among you to serve. I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And the blood... That you will see on my palm will be my own. The, the, the name that I will put on my palm will be your name. I will say I'm doing this for you. I'm shedding my blood for you. The covenant is fulfilled in Christ. And there came a moment, you know. There came a moment. It was up on a mountain. And he was he was there, and the representatives of all of those other covenants showed up. Moses and Elijah. They came and stood with him. And it says, they spoke with him of the departure which he was to accomplish. <laughs> Euphemism, right? They spoke with him of the departure which he was to accomplish at Jerusalem. I think that they had a little conversation that went something like this. You know what? Jesus, we've watched you. We have been among a cloud of witnesses that have watched you. And we have seen that you have fulfilled. Moses takes out his whole book of Deuteronomy and he goes, check, 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 check. You have fulfilled every law in the book. You are righteous before the law. You get the promise of that covenant, which was this. He who does all the words that are written in this book of the law will live forever. You get to live forever. It's the first human that has done that. You get to live forever. And then Elijah said, yes, okay, Moshi, I know, I understand. You know, you're the detailed guy. But now let me say For me, it is not just about the law, but it is about the spirit of the law. And so I see in you, Elijah says, I see in you mercy and love and compassion and the grace and the, and the, and the passion for God's word and the passion for God's temple and the passion for God's people and the passion for the lost and the passion for the, lonely and the passion for the broken and for the children and for the women and for all of those marginalized, I see that in you. And so, check, 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 not just the words, but the spirit of the law. And so he says, not only, not only do you fulfill the law so that you can live forever, but here's what will happen. You will not only live, but you will reign forever and ever on the throne of your father David. You will be the shepherd of Israel. And Jesus had taken some friends with him to that meeting. They were just a little way away. In fact, they were falling asleep. They were so bored. They were so full of the, nonsense, the stuff of those other you know, lost clothing they were falling asleep, but through their sort of half-baked eyes, they did actually see. And so, Jesus says, I've got my friends. Can they come with? Can they come with me? Will you let me bring them to this new kingdom that I will rule and that live forever? And Moshe goes, hey, you know what? I know Pete. And then there's James and John. You know, James and John were terrorists. Come on now. No. They can't come. They didn't fulfill the covenant. You did. And so he said, ah, okay. And Elijah said, sorry, I've got to agree. I must agree with Moshe this time. And so he, he, Jesus says, it's Okay. Pay it into my estate. Pay it into my estate. You see, if somebody, and then it says, the very next verse says, and then he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He knew what was ahead of him in Jerusalem. Death. Sacrifice. Not only was he the person who entered into the covenant, he was also the sacrificial lamb of the covenant. Because blood was shed to seal the covenant, you see. He said, it will be my blood. And so he goes to Jerusalem. And uh, even though the father had said over him, my son, you have fulfilled it all. He said, I'm not taking it for myself. Pay it into my estate. Now, there's a last thing that I need to emphasize here. You see, when Jesus rose from the dead, that was not the payout for the covenant. He did not raise himself from the dead by uh, uh, on the basis of his right. The right that he had earned as a man. He didn't pay himself resurrection. He trusted himself to him who judges justly. And he went into a tomb. Actually, not even knowing if he was going to come out of it. And it says... And God, the father, raised him from the dead by the power of the spirit to show not that he was a perfect man, but that he was the son of God in righteousness. He was the son of God. He was raised from the dead by divine right, not by human right. And so guess what, guys? Everything that was promised and dropped in all of those other covenants was put into his estate. And then he says, if you believe, if you will connect with me, if you will abide in me and let my words abide in you, if you will let me shape your identity, if you will let me shape your heart, your mind, your attitudes, your spirit, ask whatever you will, because it's all contained in these covenant promises. Ask whatever you will, and it will be done. And you will get to live a life. My, I will give you my spirit. My spirit will live in you. will change your hearts. Those of you who were here yesterday will remember this when we talked about, in fact, let me go there. See, this is, this is the levels of you. You are not just the you that we see the public you but you're also an intelligent being you're also an organized being you're also that uh, you you have a, uh, a whole series of priorities and passions and 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 values that drive you and all of those are the layers of your ness. okay your identity and and therefore here's the thing religion seeks to change you from the outside in But Christ is prepared and connected enough to change you from the inside out. He doesn't start with your behavior. He starts with your heart, attitudes, and values. I will take the heart of stone out of you and I will replace it with a heart that beats like mine. I will will disconnect you from those passions that that turn you aside, turn you aside, turn you aside, and I will replace them with passion for me and my kingdom you will seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness you will have a, you will have mindsets where you will remember poor people where you will love the lost where you will where, where children will be the most important pe- people in your in your house instead of the ones who should be seen and not heard i will take Gentiles who have been marginalized and excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and I will make them into your leaders. Matthew chapter 13, 33 says the kingdom of God is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into three measures of flour or dough and it leavened the whole lump. You know what leavening means? It means that the yeast makes everything in, that it is in connection with like itself. That's what it does. It moves outward, and it says, "You're a little bit sort of dull and like you know tasteless." And so I'm going to put some excitement into you. I'm going to make you bubble. That's what fermentation is. It's just good stuff, good good uh, raw material, but then it got get some bubble to it, like grape juice. It gets some bubble to it, it gets fermented, it gets some bubble to it, and then it is a source of all sorts of things, Okay, <laughs> including great joy. Um, well, that's what they said about the, the wedding, you know, the first miracle of Jesus. They, they've lost their joy, Jesus, and so he said, Come on, bring some water, some tasteless stuff, and let's make some joy. And he did the same with your life. He said, come here, tasteless, um, you know, kind of wandering, aimless, hopeless, helpless life. Come here and let me infuse you with this thing called the kingdom of God. It's going to make everything like itself. It's going to make you think like me. It's going to make you uh, love like me. It's going to make you smell like me. And what he has put inside you. Is a life that wants to be lived through you. A a life that is not your own, but is lived for the sake of Him who for our sake died and rose again. It is a life that is lived not by your energy, but a life that is lived by His. We spoke about this over the weekend. Those times when you feel like, I've got no strength, you'll say, I've got enough for both of us. I've got no faith. I believe much better than you do, so let me give you some of mine. I've got no love. And he says, whoa, whoa, funny you should mention. That's my middle name. I'll be love through you. I will be salvation to the ends of the earth through you. And so all of the covenants, we, we spoke about this concept yesterday, Wizzywig, what you see is what you get. That is integrity. That is that is living on the outside what you, were suppo- what you, f- you are on the inside. That is uh, having a connection between all of these layers. And the way that it works is by Christ in you putting His values in you, so that you value the kingdom, that you love the kingdom. That you seek the kingdom, that you think like the kingdom, and that you live the kingdom. I'm, I'm going to finish with a little thing. Ooh, sorry, that's very hard to read. I try to f- fix it, um, but sorry. So let me let me move let me move backwards here to the beginning. I, um, I've said this before, but I want I wanted to explain to you something about the... F- We're going to finish with this. I'm not going to crash land like Jonathan did apparently last week, but I'm <laughs> going to I'm gonna land you gently. When Jesus began his ministry, he called a crowd of people together on what is called the Mount of Beatitudes, and he, and he preached the Sermon on the Mount. So I want to read you my own rendition of the Sermon on the Mount, which is a a, a statement that declares or that explains the life that is in you that wants to be lived through you. Okay? You ready for, for this? When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside. After taking his seat, his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, now listen up. This is how immigration into my kingdom is going to change you and your culture. Your blessedness, your happiness, will be based not on having things but on being destitute, poor in spirit, dependent on grace, knowing this is what will open the kingdom from heaven to you. Your mourning will be turned to dancing, your laughter will heal your sadness, and your humility will be rewarded with huge influence. You'll inherit the earth. You will find joy in constant hunger and thirst for doing the right thing, living as a truly good person, a hunger that will often be satisfied along the way. You will be a constant giver and receiver of mercy, receiving and showing my love. And in exchange for singleness of heart, you will constantly, increasingly, and finally see God. You will find joy in being artists of peace, And when people see your work, they'll say, you paint just like your dad. Even persecution for righteous behavior won't dim your joy because you'll know our side wins at the end. So don't stress when people insult you, persecute you and falsely accuse you of evil because you follow and testify about your love for me. Rejoice. Dance a jig with me. Because your reward in heaven is growing every time that happens. And you're in great company. Check the prophets who came before you. You're going to flavor the world with divine spice. Stay spicy. Always be amazing. Live on the edge. Don't let the current culture rob you of flavor and trample you under its feet. You're going to light up the world, so shine. Stand up where you can be seen. Bloom where you're planted. People will see your good actions... And your father in heaven will be applauded for how he changes losers into truly good people. Because I tell you, this is going to be a new way of living. By a new set of standards that will make religious people jealous. This will qualify you for all the benefits of the kingdom from heaven. Both in this life and ultimately in the life to come. Here are some examples of how kingdom culture will differ. You will live way beyond the narrow rules Set of rules set by religious people. You will live not by less than, but more than those rules. Not merely abstaining from evil, but doing good. Remember how you were told to be good in actions, like don't murder, lie, steal, commit adultery, or cover things that belong to others? Well, I'm saying something more than that. Your heart attitudes are going to change. So that you won't even be able to insult or hold grudges against anyone who offends you. You will hold marriage in the highest esteem, not seeing it as an easy come, easy go arrangement of convenience, but as a precious and sacred covenant. You will exchange violent reactions by word or deed for gentleness and grace, forgiveness and peaceability. When anyone borrows or steals from you, you'll consider it a gift, not insisting on rights, but seeking to bless, whether soldier, friend, enemy, or needy person. You're going to be chips off the old block. You're going to make your dad proud. You see, this is kingdom identity from the inside out. God's not interested in another round of religious performance. He's not interested in a a bunch of people who have their own law as though the laws of Moses were not enough laws. There are 905 of them, people. You can't even remember that many, let alone keep them. So God's not interested in law-keeping. He's interested in heart-changing. He's not interested in, in, in conformity. He's interest, interested in transformation. This is not a renovation, you know, a refurbishment. This is a knock the thing down and make it all over again. That's why it's called being born anew. Being born from above. So, you want that? You want to live that? That's the life that wants to be lived through you. Every day, every day, just when when you wake up, every time you move into other people's company, just stop, get in touch with that life that is itching to express itself through you. And they're saying, come on, let's love, let's love them, let's love them. And you're going, no, I'm tired. Let's love them, let's love them. Listen to that. Abide in that. Let Those words abide in you. And then what people get when they touch you is they get the glory of, of God. You live for his glory, his life. When someone bumps into you, what spills over the edge is his life, not yours. His power, not yours. His love, not yours. Let's stand. <clears throat> Lord, we, we just love how when you were speaking to people, you said, are you tired from all your religion? Has religion worn you out? Come to me. Learn from me the unforced rhythms of grace. And you will find rest for your souls. And then you went on to say, let me me be the yoke that you carry across your neck. It sounds like work, but Lord, it's really not work. It is partnership. It is where... A greater than our own strength is coursing through our veins. And so we, we want to surrender again, Lord. We surrender our, our hard work. We surrender our having to work it all out. We surrender our poor performance anxiety and our performance orientation and we say, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. We surrender. We surrender to you. Come Holy Spirit. And bring about just another layer of surrender. We have known you in our hearts. And sometimes we have seen that in our deeds. But Lord, we want it to be all the way through the dough. All the way through the dough. So that our attitudes... Our availabilities, our priorities, our way of using time, energy, and money. Our way of speaking to people. Our way of thinking about people. Just reminds them more of you than it does of us. Let your kingdom come. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We welcome you. And right now, you know, some of you struggle with habits. There may be there may be um, procrastination. There may be things like substances that you use. Or maybe it's a, a temperamental kind of habit like losing your temper. Any of those things. Those things that you so often bump up against that you get, you become despairing. You say, can I ever change? And God is not asking you to change your habits. He's asking you to surrender them. He's not asking you to get stronger. He's asking you to actually say, I can't Lord, but your life in me wants to overcome this. And I yield permission to you. I give you permission. Change me, change my heart. Oh God, make it ever new. Change my heart, O God, let me be like you. Let your presence fill us, Lord. Just receive the Holy Spirit. Some of you just need another, a fresh touch. You just need a fresh sense, an injection, an awareness that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You need that spiritual engagement where you become unaware of yourself. Where on the one hand you accept yourself, but on the other hand you say, Lord, I want much more than what I can offer. Where you can forget yourself. Where you can lose yourself so that you may gain him. Just receive. Receive the Holy Spirit. It's not something you earn. It's something you receive as a gift. Lay hold of it. Lay hold of it. Some of you have been struggling with issues of forgiveness. In the name of Jesus, I just empower you right now. I release to you by the Spirit the power to let God forgive through you. Some of you have people that you just cannot love. When I said that earlier, it resonated with you. And so here it is. Jesus says it again. I've got more than enough for both of us I will love through you that person you can't love Some of you have been victims of crime and so you have an you have a fixed set attitude toward the person or persons who did that to you and what they in any way stand for Some of you m- may have attributed that to either a race group or a political party or a Whatever, And in the name of Jesus, God wants to free you from the bondage of that so that you may see every person as a living, awesome miracle. And that as you release that thing, you release that person somehow to the grace of God. I don't know how that all works. But all I know is that sometimes our holding on to grudges, to angers, can actually limit what God wants to do in the person that we're angry with. It's a weird thing, but it is true. So release it in the name of Jesus. Do what he did with it all. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. I release that. I release that. For some of you, it's actually... Situations of misunderstanding and and alienation between you and someone in the church. And I just want to say again, in the name of Jesus, there is a power inside you that is able to reconcile without understanding, without fixing the thing. It's about the heart. And so I appeal to you, in the name of Jesus, let the Forgiveness and reconciliation that wants to be lived through you, let that loose. Let it be lived. Let it be lived. No more insult. No more criticism. No more standing off from one another. But let it go. Let it go. Many of you have prayed for revival. I just want to finish with this. Many of you have prayed for revival. And I just had a, like a, a glimpse of the, of the Lord's face, and he was just smiling, a kind of a cheeky little smile, and he was saying, "I wish they would realize that the revival they've been praying for has been in them all along. Yeah. It's inside you yeah. All you've got to do is let it spill. Let it leak. He that believes in me, said Jesus, out of his innermost being, her innermost being, will flow rivers of living water that will refresh the world. That's what revival is. So, Father, thank you for the privilege we have of just being at another round of the reading of your last will and testament. And that Jesus, you have left such wealth to us. You've left such treasures of wisdom and knowledge and power and life and peace and joy and the Holy Spirit. You've left so much to us. We don't even, sometimes we don't even know where to start. But thank you for the privilege of hearing it again, of being able to take hold of what is in front of us. And so as we go from here, Lord, let it be to the fulfillment of what the Father promised Jesus. I give you as salvation to the ends of the earth. Light to the Gentiles. Peace to the world. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.